this is Banner, and uh, I have some news for you, a few things I just want to update you, and uh, this, is, this is not real short, but uh, hopefully it's not too long, but there's a lot in it that I want to cover. Um, first of all, Karen and I are adjusting, my wife and I are adjusting to being empty nesters for the first time as our youngest son uh, moved out right at the beginning of May. And uh, he didn't just move out and move across town or somewhere else in the county. He moved eight hours away out to Iowa. Uh, we miss him a whole bunch. Haven't seen him since he moved. Hopefully we'll see him in October when he comes back because our youngest daughter is getting married in October. Uh, on October 2nd, that actually happens to be a Sabbath day. And I know that might uh, some people might have a little bit of a problem with us attending a wedding on the Sabbath, but... Uh, but we're going to go because we believe it's a good work to go and encourage and, and celebrate the wedding. And, uh, and uh, so that's what we're going to do. Uh, we are still gathering on Sabbath with our good friends over in the Goshen, Middlebury, uh, and uh, what's that other town? Bristol area, Indiana. And uh, we're still having a great time. It is just a wonderful time to get together and just... Uh, love on one another love our love our savior love our our god experience uh, uh a time of relationship and uh and uh it's just it's just really good not a lot of striving going on just a lot of uh good fellowship and and some time of worship and things like that and good food too so uh it it is always good uh, or i found that it's always good when we just rest in the sabbath and uh, apart from any striving of, you know, using it to try to figure out when, where, and how, and all those kinds of things. Anyway, uh, on to the book project, Laura's Healing Journey. I'm halfway through recording the audio book. And again, that is the final editing phase for the printed book and the ebook. Because once, when you read it out loud, you can find your errors and, and in grammar and and the way sometimes you write things when you're writing it on a page and you read it it, it can come off kind of stilted so i'm getting that all done and i'm really looking forward to doing it it's been a hard hard uh, road to hoe my friend because i mean number one it's so emotional but on the other hand it's also hard work you know i've never written a full-length book before and I'm finding there's a whole lot of things involved. So, but we're getting it done. It'll be done soon. And, I, and it's my prayer that Laura's testimony in the book uh, will uh, will bless you, will inspire you, and encourage you to continue your walk. Uh, the production of the songs uh, that are a part of it have been backburnered a little while. We're getting back into that this week. My engineer down in Bristol, Tennessee. Uh, has been sick uh, for the last three weeks, but he's getting back into the studio. We're touching base this evening and kind of regrouping so that we can uh, get that rustled to the ground. That's a two-phase recording project, and some of those uh, tracks still need drums, and uh, the plan is to cut those drums out in Colorado, and uh, that has to be backburnered uh, until October, uh, it looks like, because the studio... Uh, where these drum tracks are going to be laid down uh, had to be moved. Uh, there was a, uh, my, uh, my good friend who owns a studio uh, moved to a new house, a bigger house, so you have more room, and they're actually building a studio there. And uh, it w it, we thought it would be done this month, but it looks like it won't be done until October, which you know puts a little bit of a cramp in our other things too because – He's my partner, and he and I have a jingle writing company. We write jingles for radio and TV, 
but he has a scaled back studio and he can get some things done uh, in that regard, but we can't track drums yet. Anyway, uh, another thing, I have reconnected with a praise group that I played with back in the late 90s. Back then we called ourselves Satchel of Praise. It was because uh, our uh, lead singer the, the, uh, who led the worship played guitar and sang, his name is Bob. Bob had a leather satchel that he carried all of his song sheets in, and I called it his Satchel of Praise. And so that's what we ended up naming the group, uh, kind of unofficially, but that's what we went by. Uh, we played around at a lot of places. We played at Calvary Christian Fellowship where I attended and where some of the, the band members attended that, at that time. We also did a big citywide worship up in Kalamazoo, Michigan. There's this big, like, historic theater that I don't remember the name of it. It was so cool. You know, seated uh, a few hundred people, and it was just entirely packed for a citywide worship. It was really cool. And we also played over at Buck Lake Ranch in Angola and uh, got around a little bit, and it was a lot of fun. But I hadn't seen those people, most of them, in about 30 years, which is pretty incredible. I'm finding a whole lot of things like that uh, full circle, coming full circle is beginning to happen. Uh, we are leading worship again at Freshwater Church up in Paw Paw, Michigan. And it's the same lineup as before, with the exception of the drummer. He couldn't make this one. So we have uh, Bob's son-in-law is going to come alongside and, and play drums on the thing. And uh, we're going we're gonna to worship uh, in, uh, in spirit and truth and make a joyous noise. So uh, now I want you to know that this is not a full-time thing. This is not a career thing. I'm not looking to get back into, into a full-time worship band, moving around, traveling about, and things like that. Uh, but at the same time, I'm also, you know, I won't turn down an opportunity to use my gift in worship as long as I'm able to do that. But uh, there are other things uh, that are more on the front burner. So what's coming? Well, let's back up and tell you a story. In August of 1988, I was about nine months old in my new life uh, after rebirth, after being born again. And it was an amazing time of hearing his voice with miraculous things happening and uh, that was before I began to listen to men who told me to you know I, I can still remember it they'd say okay you're, you're gonna settle down because I was pumped man it was like amazing uh, you know they told me that they would show me to way, the way to do this Christian thing <laughs> but what I know now is that what I was experiencing then was the pure love relationship happening between me and my master, between me and Jesus. That's who I knew him as. And uh, that was way before man got in the middle, started throwing things in, lobbing stuff in, lobbing uh, other things in, other thoughts, other ideas, other opinions, uh, you know, all kinds of things. But what I was experiencing was what I believe Scripture talks about in the book of the Revelation about first love and just a few years ago, and I can't remember exactly, I think it may have been about four years ago, uh, we were studying the book of the Revelation at Messiah Fellowship, our men's group, on a fourth night on Wednesday. And uh, I was, you know, like I was prone to do and we always wanted to do, was we would read ahead and, and you know, see what the Father might be speaking to us, and we would share that on, uh, with the other men. And when we were in Revelation chapter 2, uh, verses 4 and 5 really spoke to me. And uh, the Messiah says, But I hold this against you, that you have left 
your first love. So remember from where you have fallen and repent and do the first works or else I shall come to you speedily and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. And that really hit home. I knew it was directed at me. I had left my first love of that pure relationship with Messiah. And I'd allowed men to intrude into that. And, and I began to see that my allegiance and walk had begun to be one of pleasing men. I mean, there is a kind of a, a peer pressure kind of thing or, or uh, you know, maybe a, a fear of, you know, being out there all alone, you know, walking out on the tree branch all by yourself and, you know, it may snap under you or whatever that sometimes uh, can have a negative impact, a negative effect in your life. And it, you know, that happened to me. You know, it, it began a long time ago, like I said, in the Christian realm when they said, settle down, we'll show you how it's done. And it continued throughout the ensuing years of my walk into, uh, you know, the so-called Torah observance circle set that I was in. But it's been an eye-opening, what I call an eye-opening ear-to-hear revelation that is continuing. It's good, though. And I'm reminded, then, of the calling I heard from him all the way back in August of 1988. So back to that. The short story is that I was in a car crash in a drought-busting rainstorm on I-69 between U.S. Highway 6 and the Ashley, Indiana exit. That happened in August of 1988. I rolled my car three times, landing on the top in a ditch full of large rocks. I was pulled out by a passerby who saw the accident while a, a truck driver who stopped used a fire extinguisher to put out the flames that had popped up under the engine of the car. I had no idea uh, because I was in the car kind of uh, disoriented because of rolling over and the car upside down and whatever. They pulled me out. Uh, I was uninjured. I just had a few scratches on my arm where they had pulled me over top of the broken uh, car window. Some of those uh, fragments of glass had just kind of made some little scratches in my arm. But somebody had contacted the police, uh, you know, when they saw the accident and, and they had sent an ambulance. And, I'm, you know, I understand why they did because, I mean, that kind of a crash, if you saw it happening, you would think somebody is either dead or seriously injured. So, but the paramedics came and, and they thought it would be a good idea to transport me to the hospital to make sure I didn't have any internal injuries or head injuries or something like that. So they loaded me into the ambulance on a gurney. And as I was laying there, I was reminded in one of those, I don't know if you've ever had these, but I have. They, they don't happen all the time. Uh, but sometimes I believe God wants to get our attention in a powerful way, he wants to bust through everything. And I call these conscience invading thoughts where, I mean, it just like you're kind of thinking about something or altogether different. And all of a sudden it comes blasting out of nowhere. And uh, that's what happened. And it was brought to my mind immediately about Moses on his way back to Egypt with his sons and his wife. You probably remember the story uh, because that's where Elohim or God met with him and he was going to kill him, it says. And so, you know, at the time, I don't believe, if I remember right, I don't believe I was actively reading or studying or trying to figure that portion of scripture out or anything like that. And I can tell you this, when the thought came into my mind, I certainly wasn't trying to figure out what was going on there. I mean, because I've been in all kinds of Bible studies where we've talked about this and you know what was going on between Moses and, and God 
And what is that connection to his son's circumcision, you know, his wife uh, circumcising him and, you know, and throwing the bloody foreskin at his feet and calling him a bloody husband? And why was God trying to kill him? You know, all of those kind of things. None of that entered my mind. It was just that that story came into mind just like a, you know, a snapshot. And then I heard, I knew what he was saying to me. I don't, I don't know that I remember, you know, him actually the exact words, but I knew that he was saying, I am calling you. It was undeniable. Now, listen, this was fresh off of hearing him just about an hour earlier. And this is so key. And I hadn't put these two things together until just, you know, just while I'm putting this, this message together for you. He had told me about maybe an hour, not even an hour before that, as this torrential downpour hit and, you know, we hadn't had rain in a couple of months. And it, as it hit, I dropped my girls off, my daughters off at the babysitter. I'm going to work early in the morning. I'm sitting at a stop sign in Kendallville, Indiana, getting ready to pull out onto U.S. Highway 6. And I heard him say, as clear as can be, he said, son, put your seatbelt on. Anything can happen on a day like today. And I did it. I put my seatbelt on because that's the kind of the way it was with me back then. What he said, I did. You know, it was just easy for me. There wasn't a whole lot of second guessing. So I had heard him say that and I realized, boy, it did happen. Something did happen. You know, the anything that can happen happened. I ended up in the ditch on the top my car on the, on its top and I had my seatbelt on because I obeyed and I stayed in my seat when I could have probably most likely been thrown out or and the car rolled over on me or something crazy like that so when he said I'm calling you I listened okay I knew I was called to ministry at that time I didn't know any particulars but I had a sense that it wasn't to be right at that moment I, and I really didn't know when and and it, it was kind of, I was kind of overwhelmed. Uh, now, at that time, I'd been meeting with a, uh, with a couple of brothers periodically to just pray together. And we'd share what we believed we were hearing and, and encourage one another. And, and so the very next meeting after that car wreck, uh, I shared with them what I had experienced. And one of them, and I believe it was Kurt, uh, Kurt, who has since passed away. Uh, Kurt was, man. I, you know, that would be, that's a subject that I could talk about. There's Kurt and I at one time were pretty tight for just not a long period of time, but for a short period of time in the first church we were going to. But he told me, he said, I think you might be like Paul, who didn't begin in the ministry right away. And I thought, hmm. And I've kept that in my mind over the years and kind of pushed it back, but it was always there. Uh, now, you might know the story. I'm sure you do. Uh, what transpired with Paul uh, you know, he, he met the master on the Damascus Road after he'd been persecuting the way, he says, the way. Uh, and, uh, you know, and then what happened after that? You know, he knew he was called. The master told him he was called. But it was three years before he came to Kepha or Peter and stayed with him for 15 days. And then it was another 14 years later before he went back to Jerusalem, if I have the timeline correct. Uh, and he took Barnabas and, and Titus along with him. And it was then that he was given the right hand of fellowship and his ministry and commission was set into motion. Now, for me, it's been 33 years this month 
August of 2021, since August of 1988, that I had my I-69 encounter with the Master, not a Damascus Road one like Paul did, and and not not as dramatic, uh, but uh, but I did have an encounter with the Master. It was quite a bit longer, uh, you know, timeline than Paul. Now it was about 13 years uh, after. I heard that when I began radio ministry, though, uh, and another three years until I was called to be an elder. But the call to pastor has always been there. I remember putting it in writing in my Bible college classes at Calvary Christian Fellowship for my Calvary Chapel Bible college classes. But over the years, I kept pushing it back. I questioned it. I even tried to reject it. But it remains. It never went away. It has taken the life-altering circumstances over the past year or so, and even farther back as I now am able to see more clearly to come to terms with it. Um, it took Laura's passing to wake me up. It's kind of like when you're in a deep sleep. And uh, I, it's been years since I've experienced this to where I'm in such a, uh, a deep sleep that you know it's hard for somebody to wake me up. But I remember it. You know, they'd shake you and you're, you're groggy and you're kind of, no, no, I'm going back to sleep or whatever. And it takes a little while. And I believe the Father was doing that. As I look back at even the songs that he gave me to write, the, the inspiration for those songs, when I look back at them, I hear, I hear what he's saying. I look back and I think, and he reminds me of things that he was putting in my mind. And some of the things I even shared in our gathering, uh, I see he was waking me up, but it took Laura's passing to be that big jolt where you, you know, set up in bed and go, I'm awake. That's kind of what it was like for me. So now another similarity be, uh, between Paul's circumstances and mine is this. It's the attitude towards those of the way. Now, uh, I didn't rise to the level of holding the coats of others while they stoned the believers to death. But uh, I certainly had a hand in dismissing and speaking what was sometimes close to, if not outright, condemnation of those who were not Torah observant as I and we believe we were. I've heard his voice going down the road like Paul. Now, don't misunderstand. I'm not equating myself to Paul's greatness in the history of the church. Don't get me wrong. I'm not. Paul is, you know, I'm not Paul. And I don't, I, I don't claim to be. But I can relate to how he was wrong, and I can relate to the mercy of the master to call him because he's called me out of those things and into the way, proclaiming that which I once, he persecuted. I don't know if you could use the word that for me that I persecuted it. I think I, maybe I did persecute some people, and I talked derogatorily of the way as as some people uh, believe it. Uh Maybe you can call it persecution, but on the other hand, I can specifically say this. I was very derogatory towards traditional Christianity to uh, to a level that it shouldn't have been. And uh, along the way, it meant that I was really saying some things about the Messiah, about the Master, about our our God, our Elohim, and ascribing things to him that weren't weren't right and I repent of that and so after leaving Messiah Fellowship last year uh, last I believe it was early July when we left uh, I'd have to go look at the dates I kind of have a track record of all that but I have begun to reassess everything that I held on to I'm still doing it 
One of those is the role of a pastor. Uh, I've questioned its modern-day application, and and in a lot of ways, I still do. There are a lot of things that I see that I you know makes me scratch my head and go, is that really what the Scripture's telling us? Now, listen, I do not question whether the role of a pastor is scriptural. It is. It is, absolutely. But I do question some of the modern-day application, and I, uh, as I said, I still do. But uh, I'm learning that a problem I have is one that many of us have. You know, when we see something that's wrong in a circumstance or in, in a, a group or whatever, we end up, when we go to throw the bathwater out, we throw the baby out with the bathwater. You know, when we're trying to get rid of some of the things that, that uh, we see that, you know, maybe are wrong, like the dirty bathwater, we throw everything in the, in the tub out. And uh, that's just not the right way to do it. It really reminds me, and I've mentioned this before in previous podcasts, that it's kind of like us determining in our mind who are the wheat and who are the tares, who are the weeds. And we're told not to do that. It's kind of like that. Uh, I don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater anymore. That's just not right. I don't want to have a wrong understanding. I don't want to misjudge my brothers and sisters. And I don't want to be the one to say, no, you're not saved, you know, because you don't line up with, you know, where I'm at or or my preconceived notions or anything like that. Uh, I don't know that. You and your master know that the servant knows the master and the master knows the servant so uh that's kind of where i'm at with that now pastoral ministry and the church as we usually refer to the practices are two things that kind of get narrowly viewed and there sometimes church is that the the application of church is placed in kind of an opposing or almost adversarial position with the Sabbath and the Moedim, the Feast of Elohim, and what we would call Torah observant, uh, you know, people or practices, uh, or you know, in application or in practicality, you're being opposed to God. So there, there is this either-or kind of thing, rather than seeing it, uh, you know, for for the correct roles, uh, the the right application, the context of it all. And I've had my thoughts reordered in all these matters, and it's, they're still being reordered. I'm not telling you that I have it all, all clear in my mind yet, but I'm seeing some things that are pretty clear, I believe. And, uh, you know, we'll get into that a little bit more. Uh, so I'm sure these will continue to be adjusted as, uh, you know, I come more out of fog and more into the, you know, the, the clearness, the clarity of hearing him. Like I said, I don't have it figured out. I don't believe any of us really have it figured out if you think you do well i think you're setting yourself up i can say that from experience but often we uh, especially those of us in leadership we think we have it figured out or we think we have to leave the impression with folks that we have it figured out you know we can't let them think we don't know you know what we're talking about or we don't have the answers uh you know that's just that's a problem I believe it is probably one of the biggest problems that leadership in both traditional Christianity and in the so-called Hebrew Roots movement has. It leads to a leadership that could very well be likened to that of the Nicolaitans that Messiah speaks of hating their deeds in Revelation chapter 2. It happens to pastors and elders and other assembly leaders. I've seen it in many places, and I've been a part of it. I'm not talking out of school here. I've been a part of it. 
and I believe it usurps the role of the Spirit, who is God, or Elohim, if you will, however you refer to him. He is the one who true reborn believers have a relationship with. He leads into all truth and is the one who causes us to walk pleasingly before Elohim by belief. Some of my knee-jerk reactions to the administration of a pastor have been born out of experience. It's, it's like the avoidance of the Spirit you know, in tongues by many who have experienced all the human antics that are ascribed to the Spirit. You know, the things that the, the people say the Spirit made them bark like dogs and things like that. Um, it, it's caused a lot of people to not really want to even go near what the Scripture says uh, in, in the real application uh, by the Spirit of speaking in tongues. Now, I know this has affected me and uh, in, in a lot of areas. It's, it's one of the things that really got in the way of my first love relationship that I am now returning to. So, the role of a pastor, church buildings, 501c3 status, all these things. And I'm seeking him for clarity apart from my uh, preconceived notions. You know, what really matters to him? What matters to the Lord, to Yahweh? All I know is this. I desire to teach and nurture and encourage and love God and love people. And I'm trying to learn the wisdom of being quick to hear and slow to speak. And I have a lot to learn. You know, the role of preconceived notions is one we talked a lot about uh, back in the day, back when we first began coming out of what we called uh, traditional Christianity. But on the way out, listen, on the way out, we picked up or created more preconceived notions. We didn't or wouldn't see them as such because we were comparing our new notions to our old notions and to notions of others and not allowing the Spirit to lead us into all truth apart from any notions. In short, we're guilty of comparing ourselves one to another despite what we read in Scripture about that. When you compare one of the tenets of a man's religion against another man's tenets of his religion, you pick what best fits your own tenets. <laughs> but when all the tenets of men's religion are compared to what is written, and spoken to us by the Spirit in spirit and truth, we begin to divest ourselves of man's religion. I don't know about you, but I'm tired of man's religion. It has gotten me nowhere but in a fog of delusion. It's kind of like, I'm, I think I mentioned this in another podcast, it's what gaslighting is. The devil is the uh, gaslighter-in-chief, and he uses some of us unwittingly to sow that uh, gaslighting. That misinformation, so much information coming from so many different people uh, to where, you know, people out here going, I just want, I, I just believe in Jesus. I want to follow him. I believe he saved me. But what about this? This guy says this and this lady over here says this and this denomination says this and this rabbi says that. That's gaslighting, folks, and it causes you to question your own salvation even. And uh, that's kind of what's going on. That's not kind of what's going on. It's absolutely what's going on. You know, th there are lots of ideas that people have out there. Got lots of preconceived notions in religion. You know, they end up uh, becoming, in a lot of cases, hard, fast rules in religious systems as to, you know, things like what a pastor is, what a church is, everything that's associated with it. In traditional Christianity, the idea is you have to meet on Sunday because some believe that Sunday is the new Sabbath. 
In Hebrew roots, it's believed by many that you are 180 degrees in opposition to the Sabbath if you decide to have a meeting on Sunday or the first day of the week. Well, who's right? Here's the thing. I believe both have a root of man's religion in them. Now, there's a root of the truth in there as well. But the truth, the root of truth needs to be separated from man's religion. You know, listen. Here's what I believe, and and I believe Scripture uh, bears this out. Sabbath is the seventh day of the week, what we call Saturday. You can't change that. Scripture doesn't change it. It it hasn't been changed by God. Only men who who have determined to develop and maintain their own religion say that. And you can go look that up yourself. Uh, I think I might have it on the website. If I don't, I'll put it back up. The quotes from the various people throughout time in, in religion, Uh, who have said it was the mark of the Catholic Church to change the day, even though Scripture says that it has never been changed. Sabbath is the day of rest that Elohim, God, made for man, not man being made for the Sabbath. And those are important things, as as, uh, I've touched on in some other podcasts. But, you know, when we look at this about Sabbath and it hasn't changed, does that mean that we can't meet on the first day of the week or any other day of the week? Well, Scripture doesn't say we can't. Having an assembly on each first day of the week on Sunday morning as a time to evangelize and teach and reach the lost and and proclaim the good news of the reign of Elohim, the kingdom of God in Messiah, in Christ, that's not a violation of Sabbath. What is a violation of Sabbath? Well, that's a longer and maybe maybe a very short discussion, but, but one for another time. So, as I seek the Father, my personally held convictions and preconceived notions are challenged and i believe they will be till the day i transition out of this earthly tent that i'm temporarily dwelling in but what does this all mean it's this i am and have been called to be a pastor but where and when first when is now in fact i know i have functioned in the role of a pastor you know in in doing it in many places where I've been at, uh, you know, I've been placed in, like work. Man, I can't tell you the number of times that I have functioned in a pastoral manner with, uh, with people that I work with. And in church settings and uh, both traditional Christianity and in the Hebrew roots-like uh, assemblies and in my own family. But the active, recognized, commissioned role of pastoring and assembly hasn't been yet. And I believe that time has come. It's kind of like, you know, when when Paul finally went up, you know, 14 years later, it says, and he was given the right hand of fellowship. Uh, I believe that time has come for me. So uh, we have the when as now, but the where. Now, I've considered this for several years as I even questioned my calling. You know, like I said, I questioned it. I questioned whether I heard and even tried to reject it out of hand. I wasn't able to. Uh, I ruled out being a pastor at Messiah Fellowship a long time ago for several reasons that aren't necessary to delve into now. So where I considered the Kendallville area because I was raised there and it was the base of operations of my music career early on. Since I believe that one of the things I'm supposed to do is to be a part of and reach out to the music community I was once a big part of uh, all throughout this area. I considered LaGrange County because it closely fits with another specific area of my calling 
and related to Noble County, to the Kenville area, which is to reach out to those in the old regular Baptist, primitive Baptist, and the other churches that came into being out of the hills of Kentucky and West Virginia, the religion I was raised in. And in Noble and LaGrange County have several of those churches and people from that region of the country living in them. But Kenville, it became clear, wasn't the place, and neither LaGrange County. It was then narrowed down to Angola, the Angola area, and Auburn. Okay, so some of you know this. We sold our house in Stroh last summer, and we've been living on Big Long Lake for nearly three years. We're grateful for the provision of this rental house because it was really what we needed at the time. Uh, It was provided when there were no viable options, and we needed something immediately to move into the you know, first thing I saw, there there was nothing hardly available. The one thing I saw upon looking at it, it was like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire. So it wasn't an option. And then Laura, as a matter of fact, my daughter who passed last year, at that time she found this place and, and uh, sent me a message and said, check this out. And we ended up moving in. So it was a real blessing uh, because we were living in a house full of black mold. And like I said, we've been here for three years, almost three years. But in this past year, it's become very clear that we're to move somewhere else. But where, when, how? I mean, man, we just, you know, in my mind, uh, in looking at what we have and where we're at, the where was a question. uh, But the when and the how became an even bigger question because we didn't have the funds to do it. And and so when would that happen? It was just really hard. Underlying all of that, though, was how any move would fit into ministry moving forward into the calling. We began seriously looking and praying back in March of this year. Uh, We applied for a loan, and we were approved for a loan. Bless Yah, bless the Father, uh, just a few weeks ago. Uh, There's this young man we've known all of his life who is our realtor. I mean, I've known him from the time he was born. His dad was my best friend growing up and we played music together for years and and he's become our realtor and he's just been just a real blessing so but we were looking ryan was our realtor uh we found a home on the north side of angola and we asked him to set up a showing for us and and he did and uh we met him up there uh and looked at it and it was nothing at all like it was represented in the photos it was clear it wasn't the place for us and and uh, after we talked a little bit and said, hey, we'll just keep looking and, and we'll be in touch. And as we were driving away, I told Karen, I said, you know, I believe Auburn, Indiana is the area we're supposed to be. Now, I sensed that in my spirit. And as we continued to look uh, to look at places, you know, we would check out uh, Zillow and Realtor.com. And we're on it all the time and communicating with Ryan and trying to find something I would keep telling her, yeah, I believe it. I believe it's Auburn. I'm really sensing it's towards Auburn. We, we'll keep looking here in these two areas, but I'm really sensing it's Auburn. So I mostly focused my search in that area. Within a couple of days after that, we looked at a place south of Auburn. Nice place. And it would have worked for us, you know, just looking at the house. It was, it was fine for us. It was clean, nice home. And so we made an offer on it. And we're, we're just outbid. If somebody, you know, if you're familiar with the housing market right now, you know, in 2021, you know, I mean, a house would go up for sale and an hour later it's it's sold, uh, having had probably four or five offers on it within that period of time. 
but you know we put a bid on it and neither one of us was really sure about the house i mean we looked at it and go yeah we can live there and it's a nice home but we just neither one of us really settled but our heavenly papa he settled it because our offer wasn't accepted so we kept looking a couple of days later we saw a place in one of the additions on the north side of auburn and it was zillow property so a different realtor had to show it to us other than ryan we went we met with the realtor we saw the place and it was clear immediately oh, man this is not the place this is not where he's calling us to be to live in this particular house uh, and I also knew this this man, nice man, but he was not the realtor we were to do this with. We, we had a realtor. He was the one who had been given to us. So that very same day after we left that house, you know, we called and told uh, Ryan that what had happened. And, and that you know, we were just going to drive around Auburn and look. You know, we're driving around Auburn. And in my mind, you know, quietly, I'm just kind of praying, Father, show us, find us a place. If this is, If this is where you want us to be, and I believe it is, what home is it? Where is this home at? And we get a call from Ryan, and he says, uh, I think I have the place for you. And so later that very afternoon, within about two hours, uh, he met us at a house in Auburn on Lorraine Drive, clean, nice addition on the north side of Auburn. And immediately when we walked in the living room, we were both sure this was the place for us. <laughs> it just, this is it. Uh, this house hadn't even been listed yet. So we made an offer. Ryan listed it and presented the offer to the seller before the day was over. So that afternoon, we presented the offering. It was listed. The offer was presented, and she accepted the offer. <laughs> and then about a week later, it was appraised at the exact amount of her offer. And now, right at this point, we're awaiting the closing, which hopefully will happen here by the end of the month. Home inspection happened about a week later, and this is really cool. Uh, this this was just, in my mind, uh, in my spirit, I sense this was confirmation. The young man who did the inspection, I met him there to go over the inspection report right after he was done. And we spent a few minutes going over the report, had a few little minor things that need to be taken care of. But they, we spent probably at least an hour just encouraging each other in our belief man he was an on fire believer it's just so awesome and uh he told me that he he said i only had two inspections today and the other one was in columbia city and this was a man who was called a pastor who was planting a church in columbia city <laughs> the conversation was amazing so now this house it's not a, a large house but it, it's big enough for us to have a few people over in a small group on a Sabbath or any other day. Uh, again, we still rest and gather on the Sabbath, folks. Uh, uh, but it, it's not for salvation, and it's not a hard, fast way of doing things. It's just a time to rest and be in the presence of the Father, uh, of, our, of our Master, and to uh, love on one another and love him. And it's just, it's a great time. Like, like I said, we've been doing it for the past year with, with our brothers and sisters over to the west of us. And, and with this home, like I, you know, I said before, hopefully we can take our turn at hosting. This will give us that opportunity. And, you know, along the way, we hope there are other people who would join us, that maybe we can have some additional people over on a Sabbath, maybe some people who are already resting on the Sabbath day and would like to have some fellowship. Maybe it's someone who's never experienced it before and would like to know more or experience what, what it really means 
to rest on the Sabbath as, as we're told to. So this house, finding it, was a very important part of the vision. It was a key part to solidify the place that we're to move to accomplish what uh, he's laid on my heart to do. Now, while this has all been happening, I've also been meeting with a couple of pastors that were at one time very close to me and to the assembly at Brighton. First of all, I met with Pastor Roger Ullman. We actually helped Roger plant Calvary Chapel of Kalamazoo Valley where he pastors a long time ago. I'm thinking well over 20 years ago, but I can't remember the exact time. And it was just a wonderful meeting with him and with his wife. And, you know, we picked up where we left off. The love and acceptance and encouragement from them was, it was like fresh water to my soul. As I shared what I believed I was hearing. At the time, I was still thinking it was between Angola and Auburn. I had it narrowed down to that, but we didn't know exactly where we were going to be at the time. So I asked him to pray with me about it. And I left charged back up and, and feeling and knowing that I'm, I'm on the right track. I'm following you, Father. So just over a week ago, I met with Pastor Paul Mallory. Pastor Paul uh, is uh, at one time was the senior pastor in Brighton when it, back when it was called Maranatha Christian Fellowship. You know, later it became Calvary Christian Fellowship and then Messiah Fellowship. He was the senior pastor there, and Ron Heyer was his assistant uh, before Paul was called to go plant a church somewhere else, and he went down to the Leo area down, around, uh, down south of Auburn near Fort Wayne. And, and began a church down there that has just really uh, been a real blessing to that area. They've since moved into a bigger place, and, and uh, it's just Paul's just a, a special brother. Early on, when we begin to, you know, to move into uh, the more Torah-observant kind of, uh, of practices, and you know, people would take us to task, I remember at the time you know, Paul was encouraging, and he, he, he really defended us, which was really nice to see. It was really comforting. But, you know, as the years went by, uh, for us, both he and Pastor Roger were not viewed in the same way by us, sadly. Uh, as much as Paul supported us, we really came to the place where we dismissed them as that's traditional Christianity and what they're doing is lawlessness. And, and it was, we just kind of put them over there in this category again. I think it was kind of in our minds what we were doing, uh, in effect, was saying they're weeds, they're tares. And, man, I regret that. I really regret that. You know, today, this, this time of my life, it's been a lot of years since I'd spoken with either of them. But they didn't have any kind of animosity. Uh, it was just love and acceptance and encouragement. And so I shared with Paul, like I did Roger, what I believed I was called to do. Now, the time I met with Paul here, we had already had our offer accepted on the house and we were awaiting the appraisal down in Auburn. And he was just amazingly supportive of that and encouraged. And and actually, he expressed joy at it, which was, I mean, I and I told him, I said, this is new for me. This is new to feel that. And here's what's even more so, uh, you know, because it was a kind of a concern to me because I believed that by that time, I believed I was called to Auburn. And to, to plant a church, a new work right there, which would be right in his backyard, you know. Uh, but he said, hey, that's great. He said, 
we could use a hundred Bible teaching fellowships in this area. So just as it was with Roger meeting with Paul was just a, a great refreshment, a great encouragement. So, and then Paul asked me how he could pray for me and Karen as we move forward. I shared those things with him. And uh, through that and other people praying, I've seen answered prayer. Uh, my papa has provided, and I believe he'll continue to provide in both material and spiritual needs. Listen, I'm nothing special. I don't feel qualified, but I know I heard him. He desires this work. He desires that people hear the good news. That's the most important thing, that they hear the good news and believe in, in Messiah and the Master in, in Yeshua, in the Lord Jesus Christ, whatever name you're using right now, the biblical Messiah that they believe in him. Uh, he desires that. And uh, the, on, the only one who would try to throw cold water on that kind of desire and that kind of of move of the spirit would be the devil and he has no authority in this so i just keep moving forward in 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 what he's called me to do so as we continue to walk in in this direction we're working on getting moved into the house and uh we're awaiting the the actual closing date right now and there are some things that we need some furniture most of our furniture is old and some of it honestly just needs throwing out some of the stuff that you know we brought from the old place we've already gotten rid of you know i believe probably we were just bringing mold spores from the old house and stroll over here to the rental property and that wasn't wasn't a good thing one thing for sure though uh that we know right now uh that we knew right off the bat among some other things is we needed a couch and some other living room furniture and I was hoping to find something affordable in a used couch. I mean, we've been looking at all the garage sale pages on Facebook and things like that and looking around, and there have been a few things that it, that we looked at, but nothing really popped out or even anything that we can afford because, again, I'm telling you, our funds are low, and, and we're getting ready to move into a house, and there are costs involved with that. And and so, I, you know, I was just hoping that we could find something used or or something like that, but I hadn't asked anybody to help us with it. All, the only thing I'd asked was, you know, can you pray to hear some of our needs? And the only one that I specifically told uh, the needs to, there was only one. So uh, we've been praying about it, and it had been a little while since I'd asked for prayer from Pastor Paul. And then I find out that, uh, oh, by the way, uh, you're getting a brand new couch as a gift. Brand new. We didn't ask for it. But the Father provided, uh, he, you know, and I believe he's going to answer every prayer. He's going to provide for our needs what we need, not what we want necessarily, but what we need because this is something that he desires. So right after we move, um, once we get moved and get settled in, and hopefully that won't take too long sometime in September, I'm going to begin looking for a place to begin a Bible study in Auburn. Again, with the goal of planting a church there. And that church, okay, here's where it's going to get interesting for some folks. Even though we gather on the Sabbath and don't intend to quit doing that, this church will have its meeting on the first day on Sunday mornings. Now, I don't want you to get hung up, and I hope you don't get hung up on the word church, and I hope you don't get hung up on the fact that we will have a meeting on the first day or many other words and terms that I might use for that matter because I'm trying to reach people with the good news. I want people to know him. Look, we can talk about 
what's written in the Torah of Moses all day long. And there's only one way to understand that and put that in context, and that is if you're born again with the indwelling, set-apart spirit, Holy Spirit of God, of Elohim living in you to lead you into all truth. And so the first thing is you, you hear the good news, believe in Messiah, and then allow him to do that. So, you know, don't get hung up on those terms. Please understand where I'm coming from, and I believe it's the heart of the Almighty himself. So, you know, here's the deal. If we continue down that road of canceling out common words we use to communicate with, you know, like the days of the week and and even, you know, calling him Holy Spirit instead of set apart spirit, uh, because holy sounds like the name of, uh, of a Hindu god. You know, before long, we don't have any words left to, to have an effective conversation with anyone. He's bigger than that, folks. You know, most of the words in the English language have some questionable origins, or they sound like another word or a name uh, with pagan origins or even sometimes of a pagan deity, of a pagan mighty one. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not being dismissive of these things, but where do we stop? Is this what really matters? Is this all that matters? As for this new assembly, it will be a verse-by-verse teaching of the Scriptures with an emphasis on the good news and the work of the Spirit in rebirth and in being set apart for Elohim, for God, by Him, by His Spirit, and again, meeting on the first day of the week will be one. I'm sure there will be others as he leads. This is all in his hands, folks. This is all in his hands. What he wants to do. I'm just going to take it a step at a time and trust that he'll, that he'll do the rest because I, you know, I don't feel like I can even do this. Uh, again, we're going to continue to rest on the Sabbath to invite others to join us. Uh, uh, we will continue to observe the annual feast, but again, not as an avenue for salvation not doing it the way that Israel did it as types and looking forward to the Messiah coming because he's already come. Uh, these are memorials to what he has accomplished. Uh, it gives us a better understanding of who he is, a more accurate understanding. So we're, we're going to continue doing that. It's to better know him and to know his plan of delivering us, not in the minutia of detail, but in the reality of him. Also, I'm still not interested in observing a lot of the traditional things uh, that have been done in the past. You know, I know the truth about Christmas and Easter. You know, they do have pagan origin. There are questions about when Messiah was born. There's some serious questions about whether he was born in December, you know. And a lot of people have some different ideas, and I even have my own. And, and from the, some of the things I've looked at, it looks like he, and it would fit more so that he would be born in the fall sometime around of the Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot being, you know, tabernacling among men, uh, Emmanuel, God or Elohim with us. They seem to fit that, but there are also some specific things you can find in Scripture that would lead you to think that that's it. Uh, but, you know, it doesn't ever tell us to observe his birthday. It just uh, We're not told that. We're, we're told to remember his death. And so uh, we just choose to, you know, we've been blessed in the last, you know, well over 20 years that we haven't been observing Christmas anymore. It has been such a more peaceful time, and uh, uh, and we don't do Easter. He was raised again. He is the Passover lamb, and uh, so we don't do Easter. But we also don't condemn those who still do it. I'm not about doing that. 
You know, if a person is a true child of the living God, then he has the spirit who will lead them as he sees fit. You know, it's each servant will answer to the master himself. I believe that. And uh, so I'm not going to intrude into that. All I want to do is lead people in a place of introduction to the one who can save them, the one who can lead them into all truth. I want to encourage. I want to be able to present the written word in a way that is not based on my opinion or on the opinion of others, but to allow the Spirit then to, to speak into people's lives. You know, the fruit of the Spirit, you can find it. You don't have to guess what it is. It was given to us plainly as to what it looks like in Galatians chapter 5. If you want to see evidence that the Spirit is at work in a true believer's life, don't gauge it by whether they keep Sabbath the way you want them to or whether they rest on the seventh-day Sabbath at all. It doesn't say that. Go read what it says for yourself. I encourage you to do that and allow the Spirit to work in you, too. That's what he wants. That's what I want for me, and I want for those uh, of whom he might lead to be a part of what he wants to accomplish in all of this. The foundation of what I'm called is this. It's the message of the cross, or the stake. You know, I know uh, in some of the newer translations it's translated as stake, and I understand there's some wording and some things like that, whatever. Uh The message is the same. It's the message of him being crucified or impaled. Paul says that to some, that's foolishness. And I know how that can be. Uh, It's kind of dismissed as, ah, man, move on. Move on into some of this deeper stuff, into Torah, and let's figure out when Sabbath begins and what the calendar is and what his name exactly is. And uh, and I'm just touching on a few obvious things. There are so many different things out there. I, I see some of the arguments and, And I can remember being a part of those. It's like, oh, that's just so wearisome. Uh, Because to some, you know, the the stake, the cross, that's just too basic. It's not deep enough into doctrine or into the Torah of Moses. But, see, I believe it's simple. The simplicity of it is deep doctrine because it's so simple that we can receive that in our simplicity because we are simple people. But... It is deep doctrine underlying that. It's not something you can explain in your human intellect. It's supernatural. And I believe that that simple doctrine, that simple truth, the message of the cross, the message of Jesus, it's found in the Torah of Moses. It's in the prophets. They're there. Uh, But folks, you got to see it in the context of what it is. Allow the Spirit to lead and to guide. And it all happens because of what he did. It can't happen unless we believe in him and in what he has accomplished and allow his Spirit to work that all out in us. You know, Paul clearly thought that preaching of the cross, the preaching of the cross was what was important. Listen to what he wrote in 1 Corinthians, beginning in verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. And when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with excellence of speech or wisdom, proclaiming to you the witness of Elohim, of God. For I resolved not to know any among you except Yeshua Messiah or Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my word 
and my preaching were not with persuasive words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, in order that your belief, listen, should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of Elohim, in the power of God. Now, I use the name Yeshua, and I use the name Jesus. Now, some have only heard of him being called Jesus. In November of 1987, when I was born again, I cried out to Jesus. It was the only name I knew. And at that time, it worked. <laughs> he, he heard me, and he began this process of deliverance in me. Now, I know some call him Yahusha, just like some call him Yeshua, some call him Jesus. The preponderance of people around the world call him Jesus. Uh, but there are even other variations. Look, none of us really know. I don't believe any of us really know. Like I've said before, the vowel points that we use to pronounce uh, the original wording in Hebrew, the original words, they were added by a group of men, the Masoretes. And even the Strong's Dictionary was compiled by a man. And it needs to be viewed in context of what Scripture says. If you're relying totally on just what uh, a definition of a word is, especially when you begin to add all of the other things into that understanding that, that are just interpretive things that have been put in there by, by Strong's, uh, you know, you're really relying on human wisdom instead of the power of God, instead of the Spirit. And once we begin to do that, and our deliverance is based upon that human intellect, <laughs> human understanding, we are in a lot of trouble, my friend, a lot of trouble. Look, I was very hard-nosed at one time about uh, the name. It wasn't that long ago. Uh, I have a dear friend, a dear brother. That, that was really a dividing point between us. And I remember what he said. He said, well, that's a deal-breaker because of my just wrong approach to that. And I regret that to this day. I was wrong. Look, that isn't the heart of the one who died for us or his father who sent him, his only son, to die for us. You know, in a desire to be right, I was close to, if not self-righteous. He didn't allow that to come uh, to complete fruition in me, and I'm so grateful for his amazing mercy and his grace. For many of us, our desire to be right led us to stake out positions based on our research and personally held convictions and to make them into a fence to corral ourselves and even, even to corral others. Much of what we brought as new revelation could be taken more ways than one based on a predilection of thought, you know. I mean, it's, it becomes man's personal interpretation. And that makes it hard to teach. You know, much of what I remember hearing, you know, that were kind of, I would say, fringe thoughts sometimes, some, and not considered that, though, by the person teaching it, I would watch people flounder. I would watch men flounder in trying to teach it because it wasn't as plain and clear when they tried to articulate it as they thought it was in the mind. Uh, it, it was a sad thing to watch, actually. And I know I had conversations with other people having come away from something like that. Man, that just kind of meandered about. And I really don't understand at where it was going. And it was very clear that the person teaching was having a real hard time trying to navigate that path, that course, uh, and to make clear what they thought they were, they were seeing. Really what it was and what it is in a lot of cases, a whole lot of confusion. 
and was as, as difficult to teach it for the teacher as it was for the hearer to understand. He's not the, uh, the author of confusion, folks. Scripture says that clear. Uh, it was a lot of confusion. It was difficult to understand and to lay out because the burden of responsibility is then upon the human intellect, and it's not upon the spirit. Again, it's supernatural. And a lot of times, folks, it just comes down to this. You know down deep the truth. You can't speak it. When you know that you know that you know that you know, that's what matters. And what matters is that you don't try to teach your brother what you know that you know that you know that you know. You try to teach your brother or your sister to go to the one who can make that happen in their heart, to instill that deep down into their innermost being by the power of the Spirit. Because at the end, folks, it was, it was never more clear to me than when, I, when my daughter passed and, and I sat with her at her bedside right after she passed. And it just impacted me that upon that moment when she was there by herself and she passed into his presence, there was no man in between her and him. There was nobody there to lead her in, no man. It was her and him, and it was her simple belief in him that mattered. That's all that matters. Everything else springs forth from that. So what this does, though, in these things where man takes it upon himself, it leaves people in the dust. It leaves people who can't understand what's being taught to believe that they're at fault, that somehow their lack of understanding is a spiritual lack. The result is they get left in the dust. They, some just walk away. Some get quiet and try to hide, pretend they know, uh, and hope they don't get called out. But some, uh, despite all of that, press on in belief in the Master and the simple message of the good news. Listen again, we are simple people. His message is simple. You know, think about, there are people, I'm sure you know them, there are people who may be a little bit mentally challenged, uh, you know, and in, in, I guess the better way is to say they're intellectually challenged. But isn't, isn't our creator greater than that? And is, it, is their deliverance based upon their human intellect to understand many of the things that we think you have to understand in order to enter into the kingdom? Isn't it really simple belief? Listen. Here's what Paul wrote uh, to the Corinthians in chapter 1, 1 Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 17. For Messiah did not send me to immerse, he's talking about being baptized, but to bring the good news, not with wisdom of words that the stake or cross of Messiah of Christ should be nullified. For the word of the cross is indeed foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it's the power of Elohim, for it has been written. I shall destroy the wisdom of the wise and set aside the learning of the learned ones. Where is the wise? Where is the scholar? Where is the debater of this age? Has not Elohim made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of Elohim, the world through wisdom did not know Elohim. They didn't know God. It pleased God, pleased Elohim, through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. And since Yehudim, or those of Judah, and since they ask for a sign, the Greeks seek wisdom. Yet, in spite of that, we proclaim Messiah impaled, Messiah Christ crucified. And to those of Judah, uh, the Yehudim, it's a stumbling block. And to the Greeks, it's foolishness. But to those who are called, 
both Yahudim and Greek, Messiah, the power of Elohim and the wisdom of Elohim for the foolishness of Elohim, the foolishness of God is wiser than men and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For look at your calling, brothers, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble, but God, Elohim, having has chosen the foolish of the world to put to shame the wise. And Elohim has chosen the weak of the world to put to shame the strong. And Elohim has chosen the low-born of the world and the despised and the ones that are not, that he might bring to naught or to nothing the ones that are, so that no flesh should boast in his presence. And of him you are in Messiah, Yahushua, in Christ Jesus, who became for us, who became for us wisdom from Elohim, Righteousness also, he became righteousness for us and set apartness, sanctification, holiness for us and redemption that as it has been written, he who boasts, let him boast in Yahweh, in the Lord, in God. Listen, I, I, I'm telling you, this is, this, is, this is where I'm at, folks. I categorize myself as the weak, as not wise, uh, not mighty, not noble. You know, low-born, so was our Messiah. It's by the power of him. It's not by my might or my power, but by his spirit. Isn't that what scripture says? Look, I realize some of this might be very hard for some of my brothers and sisters of whom I've gathered with on Sabbath over the years. It might be hard for you to hear this because it, it doesn't sound like the same banner that you gathered with. And, and it probably challenges a lot of those, you know, those notions about Torah and and about people who, you know, still calling Jesus and and all those things like that. You know, some of you, it might be a deal breaker for you. You might be ready to sever ties with me because of it. I hope not. I really hope not. That's not my desire. And I don't believe it's the father's desire either. My desire uh, is to be used just as Paul was, just as many are. Uh, and for me, even though it's late in my life, I'm 66 years old, folks. Uh, I want to be used for as long as he desires to use me and as long as he gives me breath and strength to preach the good news. What's important? What is important? Listen, it's the power of God through foolishness of preaching the good news and not our perfect pronunciation of his name or the exactness of the calendar or exactly when Sabbath begins, or our perfect Sabbath observance that we think is right in our own mind. You know, and I'm so glad it isn't, because if it were anything other than his power and his finished work and our belief in him, you and I are still lost, and we're fumbling around looking for the door, but Christ or Messiah is the door. He is the narrow gate to the sheepfold. He is the only way to the Father. We begin this journey, if in fact we've begun, by the work of the Spirit. And if we continue, it will only be by the power of the Spirit and not by our works of Torah. Don't misunderstand. I am not saying that Torah, nor am I saying the prophets, have been done away with. I'm saying this. In our human understanding, we have left the pure love of our relationship with our bridegroom and what he wants to do to make us ready for the marriage to come and instead, we've decided we can figure out the Torah of Moses and make ourselves ready. Listen to Matthew chapter 17. After six days, 
Jesus took Peter uh, and Jacob and Johannes, John, and brought them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transformed before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became as white as the light. And see, Moshe, or Moses, and Eliyahu, Elijah, appeared to them, talking with him. And Kepha, Peter answering, said to uh, Jesus, said to Yahusha, Yeshua, Master, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, let us make here three booths, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Booths, tabernacles, you know, Sukkot. And those of you who are into the Hebrew Roots Movement, you know what that is, okay? While he was still speaking, verse 5, see, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and see, a voice came out of the cloud saying, this is my son, the beloved, in whom I did delight. Hear him. Hear him. Listen, at this time, when this happened, there was the option of building a sukkah, a tabernacle there, so Peter thought. After all, isn't that written in the Torah of Moses? And here was Moses. He was right there, and so was Elijah. You know, Moses and, uh, and Elijah representing the Torah and the prophets, and both of them being prophets, you know, to, uh, Moses being the one who brought the Torah to the people, uh, makes it obvious, right? But our Heavenly Father had a different plan. It wasn't about doing what seemed right in their human understanding of what Moses had written. Jesus, Yeshua, he's here. He's the point of it all. The point reached, the goal, the purpose of it all, the end of it all is him. His father who sent him said very plainly, this is my son, the beloved in whom I delight. Hear him. It's pretty emphatic, folks. Who are we listening to? Now, brothers and sisters, listen. I enter this part of my journey with a lot of fear and trembling. I don't feel in my flesh that I can do this, and I know in my flesh I can't do this. Um, I struggle with a lot of wrong decisions over the years, people I've hurt, uh, left wrong impressions with, spoken derogatorily about people, I repent of that. I apologize for that. I was wrong. But I struggle with all that because how could he use me given that track record? But I'm encouraged because he used Paul. You know, I've even heard it said by some that in a situation like mine that God or Elohim can put you on a shelf and you can no longer be useful in the calling that you once had or for the kingdom. But I know down deep in my innermost being that I must do this. I can't rely on my flesh. My flesh tells me one thing, but down deep inside me, his spirit bearing witness with my spirit, I must do this. Like Paul wrote, woe is me if I don't. My confidence isn't in me. Believe me, it's not in me. It's in his favor, his grace. And it is sufficient. May Yahweh, the Lord our God, bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you and give you peace. Thank you for listening. And if you would want to fellowship, have questions, talk of the goodness of the Father, 
just let me know. There's contact information on this page uh, on the, on the uh, website. Uh, you can go to one of two places. You can go to TorahPerspective.com. Actually, three. TorahPerspective.com being one. BannerKid.com, which is more the music side of what I do. Or uh, the other URL, the other website address, takes you to the same page as Torah Perspective. And I've just added that. It's called FirstLoveAssembly.com because the Father willing, that is the name of this new assembly. I'm returning to my first love and encouraging people to stay. If they haven't left it, to stay in the first love. If they've left it, to return. And if they haven't begun that relationship with God, who is love, that they do so. Thank you again for listening. And I hope you have a wonderful day. Not long ago, I was walking down the road, going my own way. I was knocked to the ground by a thunderous sound, spoke to me face to face. He said, hear that man, you're building on sand and your house won't last long. When the wind starts blowing and the rain starts falling, pretty soon it'll all be gone. And he said, son, 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 you're going the wrong way. Son, 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 you're going the wrong way.